from Boss Track, It's Her Hype Squad, a show about amazing women who've made incredible strides as leaders in their industry. They're here to support you and your leadership growth, to encourage you and hype you up as part of your Hype Squad. Hello, everyone. This is Michelle Harris. I'm back to bring you another episode of Her Hype Squad with Boss Track. This week, I sat down with Ashton Brodenheiser, founder, live illustrator, and sketchnoting educator of Mind's Eye Creative Consulting. We talk about visualizing ideas, idea retention, making others feel heard, and how AI will change creativity at work. Before we get into our conversation, I'd like to share a little bit more info about Ashton. Ashton Rodenheiser is passionate about lifting the creative spirit in everyone that she meets. She's followed her passion for helping people communicate their ideas and combined that with creativity by founding Mind's Eye Creative Consulting. Over the years, she has brought over 2,500 presentations and conversations to life either on paper or digitally. She's now on a mission to teach sketchnoting skills to students and professionals on how to use doodling and drawing as their best thinking and learning tool. When she's not working with clients, she's being silly with her three young kids and husband in rural Canada. If you enjoy my conversation with Ashton, be sure to subscribe to our channel and help more people find us by sharing this episode with others or by leaving a review. Or subscribe to our weekly newsletter filled with things we found that we're excited about and we're inspired by, along with valuable leadership advice to watch, listen to, or read. It's a little bit of joy for your inbox each Monday. You can subscribe at www.thebosstrack.com forward slash weekly joy. Now, without further delay, here's my conversation with Ashton Rodenheiser. Hi, Ashton. I am so happy that you've joined us here on Her Hype Squad with Boss Track. Thank you for coming on. I'm so happy to be here, Michelle. I hope you're having a great day too. Yeah, yeah, it's been good so far. Like we were talking earlier, busy, busy is good. So yeah. uh, that's uh, can't complain. Well, I'd love to start out by sharing a little bit about who you are. I'd love for them, you know, the audience to hear in your own words uh, a little bit about you. Yeah. Yeah. So a few different things about me is I like talking about the fact that I'm a mom because it's pretty important to me. And I have three kids between the ages of five and 10, and they're pretty awesome little human beings. And when I was in high school, everybody was trying to figure out what to do with their life. I was like, I'm going to be a mom. And that wasn't very well received by people, but So that's how I ended up taking early childhood education as some of my formal education, because I was like, well, that's pretty transferable. I can use it as a parent. And after I finished that program, I started working at a family center and that's where I was introduced into the world of facilitation. And I really, really fell in love with how you can help groups of people get to clarity or decisions or to get to a goal by asking questions and holding and creating a safe space for people. And after doing that for a number of years, a a friend of mine introduced me into a word I didn't know existed, which was graphic facilitation. And I started diving into that and totally fell in love with that. And that was 10 years ago this month. Mm. And I was like, this is amazing because you can you know, listen and think and help people get to decisions like you can with facilitation. But then you also have this really like creative energy that you can pull into it. And I think also secretly I wanted to be an artist, but it was never something that I wanted to pursue just because there was so much negativity around, you know, those art school kids who have no jobs, (laughs) unfortunately. (laughs) And I wish I didn't believe that at the time, but I I ended up where I am today and, and that's okay. But it really kind of this beautiful coming together of, you know, sort of secret artist desire and this sort of facilitation and how you can listen and think and help people understand their own wisdom and marrying those two together. And yeah, I just, like I said, that was 10 years ago and now I'm here today, (laughs) 10 years later, still doing it, talking about it. Yeah, it's so amazing. When I found you and when we talked, I I just got so excited because for me, and um, I'm I I think you know the percentages, but there's a large percentage of people that learn through visual representation. 
And I was one of those people. So for me in business, the ability to tell stories or hear stories and visually see those stories play out, whether it's through drawings or just somebody representing it on a whiteboard, like was always so helpful to me. And I wonder if you could share with the audience what you do, how do you take that, what you do facilitating and visually facilitating How do you apply that into the business world? What does that look like when you go into uh, a meeting or a conference or, you know, however you're hired Mm -hmm. on, what, what does that look like for you? Yeah. So it's kind of like mainly two worlds. There's more of the facilitation type world. And then there's um, what we call like live illustration or graphic recording, which is more of that kind of conference. So there's, it's more about my level of involvement, whereas Mm -hmm. conference, I'm not involved in the conference. I'm almost like there as the professional listener also. Like I'm going to listen, try to make sense of what all these speakers are saying and then visually represent that. So when I'm there in person, it's usually with literal paper and markers, like life-size drawings. Or when I'm doing it virtually, instead of seeing a little camera view of my face, you would see my drawing screen and it unfold. And all happens live within that moment. So it is capturing that moment of time. So when the speaker is done talking, I'm pretty much done. So you can imagine the speed that I have to (laughs) work in is very high. And then, so there's that sort of world, which I really love and has definitely um, a beautiful benefit and value in the moment. And then also after the fact that you can kind of refer, but then there's the more graphic facilitation world, which like I said, that's how I was introduced to it. And that's more, I'm a little bit more involved in that process. Maybe I, ideally I like being involved from the beginning of like, this is what we're trying to do today, right? Like whoever the team is that is putting together this like strategic planning, you know, thing, or this like vision, mission, values kind of session or something like that. I like being uh, as involved as I possibly can so that people feel like this is a very integral part of that process. Mm -hmm. So when I'm in the room with them, it's really about listening to the collective, right? So whereas at a conference, it's like one voice, one thought leadership, one idea. Whereas in a room, I'm listening to everybody and working hopefully with a team of people that understand facilitation practices to make sure people feel seen, valued, and heard, and how I can visually help people feel seen, valued, and heard, and have that more of a collective voice. So I might be listening to individual voices, but then how do those individual voices and those ideas, how is that going to move us through to where is that you're trying to get to at the end mm-hmm. of the day? What are, where are those ideas connecting? Where Where is there like an idea and it just seems to be kind of like, it's a great idea, but it's like the only person that mentioned it or something like maybe that needs to be parked for now or something. Right. And then by creating it visually, it can really help. You can really see those connections while also allowing people to feel like this, that they are an important part of this conversation. And I've definitely been in situations where I've worked with people and I've been there and they've come up to me like during or after and been like, I've never really felt seen and heard like I have in this kind of meeting before. Right. You know, and that's, you know, that's like the, like we need human connection, Hmm. right. In our workplaces. And that's how just, this is just a beautiful way to be able to bring that connection together and that workplace camaraderie and, and feeling like you're part of the team and stuff. If everybody's voices are together So there's sort of that in the moment benefit. And then similar to graphic recording, there's the like after benefit of like, now you have this visual of your vision or your strategy or your brainstorming or whatever it is that you were doing to be able to reflect on it later, right? So it just doesn't become a report that gets shoved into a drawer never to be seen again, right? Yeah, You can print them off. You can have it on your desktop, screensaver. You can hang, if I'm there in person, you can hang the the physical paper one in the lunchroom. Like you can use it as an accountability tool, which is really fun too. I try to encourage clients to like, I know it looks nice, but take a big Sharpie and draw a circle and put a date when you're going to do some of these things or what have you. Like it doesn't have to be precious and it shouldn't be. I'm, I'm less about, yes, it looks nice, 
but it's less about me creating a piece of art in the space, but more of this visual communication to help elevate those ideas. And it, and I love it when people take it upon themselves to then use it beyond an event to say, this is what I'm, this is what we're doing, or actually we can't do this. And this is why as like this kind of nice communication tool internally as well, which is really fun. And then sometimes people will put them like on their website to say, this is our, these are our values, or this is our vision. And, and everybody can buy in because they were a part of creating it. Whereas a lot of times people can't even, you know, if you say, what's the vision of your company? They're like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if they were in a room and they helped create it and there's this visual and they can think of the image, even if it's not in front of them, they're going to, it's going to help them to remember it. And if you, cause if you can't remember anything, and what's use, right. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you know, that's what makes me so frustrated about like traditional note-taking because our memory retention is just so poor. Right. And like you said, a lot of people think in pictures, a lot of people learn in a visual way. Right. So why are we not like using visuals in this way in workplaces too? Right. right. I think like sometimes you think, oh, we have to be like serious business people. <laughs> I couldn't possibly doodle something. Whereas using these types of things like doodles or other playful things in the workplace can help in that level engagement and actually help you take that information and do something with it afterwards, which is what I would hope everybody wants. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you're at a conference and you're listening like 10 speakers in a day. I would hope as a speaker, you would want people to do something with what you just said. And if not, why are you there? Like, why are you talking about all your stuff, you know, you know? Mm-hmm. So if you can be in a space where I love working with people who care about the people in the room, right? If you just want to hire me to draw a pretty p- picture, I'm probably not your person, right? Because I'm not entertainment. I'm there mm-hmm. to elevate the learning and the engagement and the memory of that, right? And less about creating a pretty picture. Yeah, I have have so many questions from all of this. But I'm curious, like without giving names of companies or anything like that, could you describe an actual instance where you would go in and do the graphic facilitation, what they hired you on for and what those Mm -hmm. conversations looked like to get to the end result? Yeah, well, why don't I talk about one that I'm working on and I actually am doing it in a couple of weeks. So we're in the preparation stage right now. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's with the health uh, organization of where I live, like the whole province health. Okay. And so they are working through some equity, diversity, inclusion situation. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're trying to like, okay, they have some policies, but like, what does this look like in practice? Like, how do we, how do we make a more equitable workplace in practice? What does that look like? And, and how can we take what we have for policies and make them more, yeah, visible in the workplace? And what does that look like? So in the process, like we're, we're going and they have a day we're going in for two chunks, like before and after lunch. So we don't have the whole day, but we have two chunks and we, there's going to be like a hundred people there and we're designing, I have a co-facilitator and her designing um, an activity that's going to be happen before and after. And this morning I like drafted out like, okay, this is what like, sometimes I'll work with a template. And so we have this journey and we have a hospital at the end and we have red, green, and yellow. Red, what is it that we're like stumped on or we're not doing? Yellow is what are we cautious about? And green, what are the easy things? Okay. Maybe something easy is like uh, working with somebody who can help us make our job descriptions more equitable. Maybe maybe that's a green thing, but maybe a yellow thing is something where, you know, we have a client or a patient, I guess, who doesn't speak English. Do we have systems set up for them that we can communicate them without waiting five hours to get an interpreter or something like Mm -hmm. that? Like how do we, how, and like, how do all these like health systems integrate together and have similar messaging so that when you're working with one doctor and you go to a different department, they're doing same similar kinds of things, right? So very complex, very complex. But as like a first starting point, we're going to be in there kind of trying to understand from like the ground level, what's not working, what are people worried about or what are people cautious about? And a lot of times we find ourselves in these situations where 
you're kind of like calling out the elephant in the room sometimes. I don't know what's going to happen for this one. Maybe it won't. But sometimes as like facilitator slash graphic facilitator, you have to say things like you have to say things that are unsaid, which it's actually really great coming from you because you're not in it. Like you don't have to worry about going back to work the next day and having to sit beside the person that called everybody out, right? So I actually really love being this sort of like outside perspective because when you're in it and you all you see is the complexity, but you have someone out there who can look over the complexity and see how things are connected and try to bring things together for people. I really love that aspect of the work too. And then by being able to add the imagery and the visuals into it to help bridge those connections so that it makes it memorable and it helps people feel connected to the outcome. It's like in facilitation, it's less about knowing all the right answers and allow and and elevating visually and with words a way that you can help people come to their own ideas, mm-hmm. right? Because if you just stand up there and be like, you should do this with your job descriptions, like no one's going to buy into that, right? So being able to visually capture people's ideas for easier buy-in too, right? So anyways, I just kind of rambled there about all of those things. No, no. But, you know, that's just sort of one that we're working on right now that's like really highly complex, Right. And I know it's not going to just end whether or not they continue to engage me beyond this one meeting. It's hard to say, but you know, my goals with this, just because it's just a, even it's not even a full day worth of, of work to try to get through all of this complexity. My hope is that I can create visuals and we can facilitate the session in a way that now, whether or not they choose to work with us again, is like they are, they have this footing and this foundation to go and try to get some of the stuff implemented, yeah. right. And go, you know, learn from mistakes and and do, and do those things and try to kind of lay the foundation for people. Yeah. So there might be like a little missing piece here just to clarify when, so you are not only going in and visually representing what's happening, you're also asking questions. So do you, do you go in understanding the overall goal and kind of understanding what needs to happen to get to an end result and then asking questions along the way to clarify things and make sure that, you know, you are getting to an end, uh, a, a good, a positive end result? Is that your role to ask those questions? Yeah, it can be. When I'm working with a client, the thing that we always ask them, and we usually have to ask them multiple times, is what does success look like for you? Mm -hmm. Like at the end of this day, when we all leave and you go, that was well worth our time. That was great for you to be here. Just help us with this. Now we have this thing or this idea, or we had this conversation to move us towards what? Right. So, cause a lot of times we find ourselves in these types of meetings and you're like, this could have been an email, right? Yeah. Like, or this could have been a report that I could just read on my own time. So, you know, it's, for me, it's about making sure that we create an environment in that meeting or session or engagement, whatever we're doing to make this a good use of everybody's time because asking a hundred leaders to get into a room for a day is a huge ask. It's mm-hmm. very, very difficult to do that. We're asking these people to, to set aside their time in their very, very busy schedules to, to dedicate to this. So it has to be worth it. And knowing what success looks like, then we can tailor the questions, tailor the exercises or the activities or whatever is that we need to do to get to that whatever that success looks like for that client, right? And that's going to be totally different depending on who it is. And and maybe like sometimes that success looks like that they built um, more team camaraderie. Maybe that's what success looks like, right? Mm-hmm. So it's obviously going to be very different. It's like, no, we need to nail down our mission, our vision and values within two days. And at the end, we need to have those things. I don't care how you get us to it, but we need those things. And we all need to feel aligned on them, right? Which is easier said than done sometimes, right? Depending mm-hmm. on how many people you have in that meeting and what people's personalities are, right? So, you know, that's different than like, you know, oh, we want to, it's more of like a team building or like a team retreat. Sometimes get invited to do those types of things too, right? Where it's more about building trust and building connections and what is what is empathy look like in that workplace, mm-hmm. right? How, how do people feel safe? 
to share ideas and things like that. Right. So it could be more of, um, more of that kind of workplace connection stuff, but it could also be like, no, we need a strategic plan. (laughs) Yeah. And at the end of this three days or a week or one day or whatever, whatever you give us to try to get you to it, then, you know, we're going to give you something that is going to be very tangible. And like, obviously like the way that I like to work and our approach is usually quite different than what you might get from somebody who has a very like analytical, okay, we need to have all of these objectives and all of these things. Usually we challenge clients to think less and quality over quantity, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously like working with people who value certain things like that, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if you just have someone who is a bit more, I just need to check this box. I just need to get the strategic plan done and over with. Like, I don't even care. Like just come and do it. Like chances are we're not going to be the right fit because Mm -hmm. you need to have that, like that trust and that buy-in from the client too, to be like, do you trust us? (laughs) Yeah. To bring Plato and do some things differently, right? And and draw this picture and do these things and ask these questions and and call out the elephant in the room and do those types of things because for me it's not it's not worth anybody's time if you're not going to actually like face things head on sometimes. And like I said, by being the outside facilitators, it's awesome because mm-hmm. you don't have the baggage that everybody else has in the room right? Because everybody comes with their own personal agendas and what it is that they want to say. You give the the opportunity to say those things and then get into the work. Yeah. I I know it's a little different for many different reasons, but I know we've had conversations with guests or with students in the past about meetings and speaking up in meetings and making sure that people can feel seen and heard in meetings. So I'm curious, and it may or not apply and be useful, but when you mentioned earlier about people commenting and saying, oh my God, I fe- I felt seen and heard in in that se- this session with you, mm-hmm. what are some things that you do to make sure that people feel open to sharing and involved in the process? Yeah. So one thing that I always do when I introduce myself is I try to infuse a little humor, right? Everybody relates to laughter, right? Mm -hmm. And if you can make someone laugh, you've already built an instant connection with someone. And if you can show a little bit of vulnerability and you don't know any of these people, maybe they can show a little bit of vulnerability. So the joke that I usually tell is like, all right, people, there's one of you in every room who likes to correct people's spelling. And usually it annoys everybody but this is your moment to shine, right? I'm telling everybody I'm going to make mistakes. So it's safe for them to make mistakes. And hey, you can also engage with me and tell me that I made a mistake and I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. So just by saying that and infusing a little bit of humor to try to make people laugh right in the beginning and saying, hey, you can engage with me. I also go on to say other things like, please, if you don't feel comfortable, come up and tell me something that I missed or something that you want me to make sure I add. Like here's sticky notes. If you don't feel comfortable saying it, you can write it. And when I leave, you can stick it on and I'll come back and I'll see something's added. Like that's cool. You know, so I'll give people ways to engage with me where they may not feel comfortable also just like speaking up verbally in a meeting. Cause I know that can be that can be a challenge for a lot of people. So giving people other ways to be able to connect with what I'm doing and making sure that they have a voice in what it is that I'm creating. Sometimes I work with organ or other like indigenous communities and want things like written in their language. So they'll like write, write like a translation and I'll put it wherever the other English word was, right? To help them feel connected. And that was their request. And I want to honor their request. So I try to stick it in there. It doesn't matter if it ends up making that part of the graphic look like more cluttered or messy. It doesn't matter because it was important to the group. It was important to that person for me to add that in. And that's kind of where this balance between the process versus the product is really, really important. And then also I've been in situations where like people came in the room and they subtly or not subtly made it very clear they were not happy to be there. So sometimes I'll extra listen in. If I remember there was like years ago, there was a 
a group, it was like a housing thing. And there was a group of guys there, like they were the maintenance guys. And of course Mm -hmm. they have all these things they have to fix. And now they're in this meeting, like what a waste of time. And they came in and they were making it very known that they were unhappy to be there. And my co-facilitator and I were like, okay, let's like, let's win these guys over. Let's make sure that they know this is a good use of their time. And they made a little joke, like off to the side. But of course, because I'm listening to everything or trying to, I drew a little picture related to their joke that had nothing to do with the content of the meeting. And they came at a break, they pointed, they laughed. And we won- I won them over just mm-hmm. by including them, even though it had nothing to do with the content. So maybe people like, maybe the leadership people looked at it later and like, why is that on there? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like it meant something to those guys that was to make sure that they felt like this was a good use of their time to be there. And we were asking them some very tough questions that day. And we really wanted some feedback. Mm-hmm. And we needed them to be as honest as possible with us and to trust us, strangers, to tell us things. Mm-hmm. So how you set up that environment in the very beginning and being as transparent, authentic, vulnerable as you possibly can, even though it can be very scary, is pretty darn important, right? Because if you're asking people to trust you, you have to show them how and why they should trust you. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah, I, that that all does is very relatable to, to leadership and business for sure. And actually, in some ways, it uh, I don't want to say it might be easier for you because you are coming in as an outsider and it, it might be harder sometimes, I think, for people inside the business because they have so much skin in the game, I suppose, or they're so close to the situation. But but yeah, that uh, authenticity, vulnerability, even giving people different avenues to be able to communicate, I think is is so important because people are Mm -hmm. so different in the way that they feel comfortable with communicating. So yeah, and and I, I definitely, you know, I feel for those people, because I know how I interact in in situations like that. And even though I'm talking today, like I am, and I am in a room in front of people all the time, I'm an introvert. Like mm-hmm. I do not thrive on those types of environments as a participant, right? And I know that if there's louder voices in the room, I choose to stay quiet. But if there's quiet voices in the room, I step up, mm-hmm. right? So, and another thing that we always do is, or really, really try to, is set community guidelines for the space how, you know, even though it takes time out of the day and you might not have a lot of time, it's really important to spend that 15, 20 minutes talking about how to, how are we going to create a safe space for everybody to engage, respect everybody's ideas. Don't talk over each other, you know, allow for nothing to be said so that those smaller voices can speak up, you know, cause if there's, if people are just talking, 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 and there's no breathing space in there, then someone who might have something to say has no no way in, right? If they're not comfortable kind of jumping in. So setting up those community guidelines is a pretty like foundational thing as a facilitator to do. And not just that, but what happens if someone doesn't abide by the community guideline? You have to talk mm-hmm. about that too, right? And a lot of it comes back on the facilitator. They're like, oh, we'll tell the facilitator and they'll deal with it. That's okay right? As long as we decide. It's like having, you know, metric, having things in your business that you're going to do, but you have no way of measuring them. So like, why are you doing them? It's the same kind of thing. It's like, we say we're going to respect everybody's ideas, but if someone feels like their idea is not respected, we need to be able to give them a safe space to share with a facilitator or say something, right? It also allows you as a facilitator to, to get yourself back on track. You're like, okay, we said as one of the community guidelines that people are, we're not, not to talk over top of each other, but this is happening right now. Can we just take a breath? Mm-hmm. All right. I'm just reminding you all, sometimes all you have to do literally is go over and just point <laughs> at the community guideline and people go, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, and we're working with adults here, right? So there's a certain level of respect that, you know, and I, it's a fine to go over to the community guideline and point and be like, Mm-mm-mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we 
please abide by this community guideline because it's not happening right now. Or it allows you to say, okay, we're going to stop this conversation because we're getting off track. And one of our community guidelines was going to stay focused and we're going to honor this conversation and we're going to make a note of it. And sometimes I'll have another piece of paper on the wall somewhere else where I'll just make a note of what we were talking about so that we can always, so it's, you know, so people see that it wasn't gone unheard. Yeah. 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 And I, I mean, I do want to say for the audience too, again, that is so applicable. I mean, just in mes- not necessarily maybe having a community guidelines, but having meeting rules Yeah, and, you know, making yeah, people some call them and, meeting rules, but I like guidelines. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I know rules is not a great, uh, <laughs> great, just bringing it back to business speak, I suppose. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm curious, do you talk to people in leadership about how they can add or infuse creativity into what they do? And mm-hmm. what could that look like for our, our audience? Yeah, it's it's so it's so interesting. I feel like I've been having so many conversations about creativity in the workplace mm-hmm. recently. And I don't know, I don't want us to get down the AI path, but I don't know if it's this, this, as things just get more and more and more technical, we also are realizing more and more about the importance of human connection mm-hmm. and the importance of creative thinking and creative problem solving. And my opinion is that creativity in the workplace is going to be, if, it, if it's not already In a few years, it's going to be like one of the number one skills that employers are going to be looking for, Mm -hmm. right? Because everybody can just go into chat GPT now and get three like ideas for a blog post or do whatever it is to help them with their job. But when you're in a meeting and you're brainstorming or you're doing things, leadership wants people at the table, like in, in employees that can question things, that can think critically you know, and can bring ideas up that you might be embarrassed to share, but it's a safe space to do so. So I think creativity in the workplace right now is like a nice to have, but I, my belief (laughs) is that in a few years, it's going to be a must have. If it's not a must have already, it's going to be because we can rely so much more, even just within the last year on technical tools to help us with our jobs. Anybody can hire someone that can just come in and do a job and use tech to help them. And they never think creatively at all. That employee is not going to be as valuable as someone who can step up at a meeting and, and share ideas and ask difficult questions and things like that. And I would hope as a leader, you want those people because that makes your business more vibrant. It makes it more diverse, right? When we talk about diversity, it's not, it's also diversity in thought. It's a diversity in in our thinking. And I think as leaders, we want people who think different than us, right? To ask questions that we might not even think to ask, right? Because we all have bias, you know, we could talk about this, just just this idea for a whole other hour, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, you know, my my way into it is by using drawing as a thinking tool, as a learning tool, as a way to communicate ideas. And and it's just one way of mm-hmm. of being able to to share ideas and 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 infuse some creativity into the workplace. But obviously there's so many, so many other ways that you can. And I think people are gonna more and more question, like, where did these ideas come from? Do they come from generative AI or do they come from a human being that now I can ask a question to, we can have a, a dialogue, but ultimately as a leader, you need to create a safe space and you need to have a good company culture where people feel it is safe, right? Mm-hmm. It's a trusting environment to share a creative idea. You cannot, creativity is vulnerable, like sharing your creativity is, I think, one of the most vulnerable things that you can do. So if you do not have, if you didn't create a safe space, you don't have great company culture to begin with, you could have all the creative, amazing people in your in your workplace, but you're never going to hear any of those ideas because it's not safe to do so. So ultimately setting up a really safe company culture would be ideal. Yeah. <laughs> 
so that the people that you already have and the people that you're going to attract to work for you are, are come with all of these amazing creativity that they, that you can now benefit from and everybody can benefit from in the company and the, the products that you're making or the services that you're providing or what have you. Yeah. And yeah. And to expand on what you mentioned, um, it, and this is related to technology in some aspects as well, but I mean, in today's even more competitive environment where things are growing so exponentially and it is easy for a new company to step in and compete and innovation is so important and just the foundation of innovation is creativity. So another reason why I think that's going to become or is becoming so important that leaders are recognizing the need for that in, in their the at the right companies are are recognizing they need that to succeed and compete in today's business environment i i think mm-hmm. um so one of the especially when we're talking about business a lot of pushback might be well i'm not creative i can't draw right. like what <laughs> how yeah. how can those leaders listening foster that culture or environment of creativity when they have people that are maybe more Mm. technical or maybe more analytical on their team? Yeah. So maybe unpopular. I'm just all about my unpopular opinions today. I love unpopular opinions. You got it. (laughs) My maybe or controversial opinion is that I believe everybody is creative. Mm. Um, Unfortunately, the majority of us have had a negative experience with our creativity that shut us down. It could have happened when we were five. It could have happened last week. It could have happened at any point, right? And I find when I say that, the majority of people go, oh yeah, I have that moment in time right in my mind. I remember when that teacher said something, or I remember when my parents said that, or my friends made fun of my picture or whatever. And those little moments, they stick with us, unfortunately. And we have that narrative in our void, in our head. And unfortunately, that little incident went, you are not creative, mm-hmm. right? I like to ask my kids every once in a while, you know, are you an artist? And my eight-year-old, he's like, yeah, like, duh, I am. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you even ask that question? Mm-hmm. As children, if you ask them, am I an artist? They say yes, because no one has ever said to them, you are not creative. You are not an artist. You did that wrong. You painted that wrong. What have you? So obviously my kids are in a very like supportive artist. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but he's eight. He could have a friend who you ask the same question. And he'd be like, no, because chances are, even if they don't even remember it, they had some sort of negative experience. Mm-hmm. So I think just honoring the fact that majority of us, if not all of us have had that negative experience that told us that we weren't creative. That is our, that was our rewiring and our brain to our new belief. Mm-hmm. So what you need to do is just unwire that. And that might be hard if you're older too, because that's really solidified in there, right? It's like, oh, I couldn't possibly draw. I'm like, but you could though. Yeah. But you could, I could teach you how to draw in 15 minutes or less, right? It's not rocket science, but then honoring people wherever their creativity is like poetry, music, humor, Mm -hmm. storytelling. Like you might have that one person in the lunchroom you always want to go to because they tell these great stories from their weekend or whatever. That's creativity. Yeah. And Unfortunately, when we think of the word, it's like we almost need a new word. Maybe we'll create one. <laughs> we need like a new word that's like creativity, but doesn't have this baggage around it that yeah. makes you automatically think visual art. That's true. Right? Yes. Because art galleries are beautiful and they're a great source of inspiration and they're awesome. And I love visiting them. But art can make people feel stupid because they don't get it, mm-hmm. right? You go to an art gallery, you see a big painting, it has a big circle in the middle. And you're like, how is that art? <laughs> you're like, I don't get it, right? And there's this beautiful documentary called Wasteland, I think. 
it's quite old now. It's probably like over 15 years old. And it's about this artist and he's from Brazil. He left Brazil, made a name for himself, went back and was working with people in the the dump area, whatever they called it. And they were, he was talking to, and he was making art out of garbage and then, Mm. and then going up and like taking a picture of it. It was like incredible. And so he was talking to one of the guys there and he was saying, you know, do you like art? He's like, well, I don't, I don't really get it. I don't like it. And so the artist, he said, so he challenged him. He said, so does that mean you don't like things that you don't understand? Like those two and two don't have to be mutually exclusive. You cannot understand something and still like it or Mm -hmm. appreciate it. And I think that's where a lot of creativity baggage comes from is that there are two things, I guess, the experience, the negative experience that a lot of us has had, and you don't get it. I don't Mm. understand it. And then when you don't understand something, it makes you feel like an idiot. Mm. So, and no one likes feeling like an idiot, right? So you almost have to strip those two things out. It's like, just because you don't get it doesn't mean anything. I don't Mm. get it either. Like I go to an art gallery, I don't get it. It's fine. It's all good. It doesn't like, you don't have to conceptually, like, you don't have to like, oh, well, I need an art degree to understand the con- conceptual whatever behind this piece of artwork, right? Art is meant to exist, to create a conversation, mm-hmm. right? So it's not about, do I understand it? There was a thing in my community about this piece of a ship that was on some guy's lawn. And everyone was complaining about it. And and they were saying that it was like a unsightly premises or whatever. And he went to the council and he was like, it's art. Debate me. And they're like, oh, we've never had anyone say that a piece of garbage yeah. on someone's lawn was a piece of art. It was so fascinating to me to watch that from afar and really see that unfold. Because some people said it's ugly and I don't like driving by it and it's unsightly and he, sh- he should be forced to remove it. But how are you going to question if the fact that it's, and he was an artist, he wasn't just mm-hmm. saying it, right? He right, actually right, was an artist. Right. He's like, but it's a piece of art. So council was like dumbstruck on what to do with this. They're like, oh no, if it's art, do we let him leave it? <laughs> do we... Do we, are we saying to him, your art is garbage? Like, it's so fascinating. And so I I tell that story to say, to, to back up, like art is there to create a conversation and creativity is there to create a conversation. It doesn't matter how it happens, you know, but we need to recognize why we believe that we're not creative. And a lot of it probably has nothing to do with any actual, your actual experience, like in terms of like your your inclination, like my inclination is more to visual art, but someone else's might be storytelling. Someone else's might be music or what have you. So whatever your inclination is, whatever you like to try, like the reason why you say you're not creative or why you're not doing it probably actually has nothing to do with you. It was a story you were told and a new belief system that you created, or you've had some sort of negative experience where you didn't understand something and you didn't feel good about it. So you go, why would I enter into the world of creativity when the world of creativity hasn't welcomed me in with open arms? Mm-hmm. And you're getting soapbox yeah. Ashton today. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, this is great. And I love that you circled around with again, it creativity is not necessarily mean drawing, it can mean storytelling, it can mean thinking, it can, yeah, you know, it can mean a lot of different things. But now that I say that, I did. I know we're coming to the end, and I do have some questions, non-drawing yeah, related. Fire. We'll do rapid but, fire. No, ones. but before we go there, I, you know, do, can you maybe talk about your book and like maybe two within two or three minutes? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I, I published a book called The Beginner's Guide to Sketchnoting. So it's taking people through what I have done as a professional for ten years and teaching people how to do their own note taking getting, taking back the power of the pen, taking notes in a visual way mm-hmm. and emphasis on the beginner aspect. Cause I really felt like there was this type of book was missing in the world of really trying to explain the concepts of how to do this in a very like non-threatening, easier, buried to low barrier to entry kind of way. Like we start with drawing a line 
right? You can draw a line, people, and you use a line to connect information, to highlight, to separate. Like you could create a very nice visual note that just has your information and some lines on it, right? So basically really trying to challenge the idea of putting traditional note-taking to the side and using the visual note-taking and sketch noting to listen, make sense while you're listening and capturing because a lot of traditional note-taking, you just listen and write words, listen and write words. And you're missing that most important part, which is the thinking Mm -hmm. is the making sense of what you're hearing in the moment. And yeah, so that's sort of my, one of my really favorite parts about it is, is that aspect of learning in the moment, not trying to then go and decipher your notes later. Right. So if that sounds interesting to you, the beginner's guide of sketch noting. I have an online newsletter that's free and a, and a membership community where we get to share our sketch notes and do workshops and stuff together too, which is really fun. But it's really like, it's a community I wish I would have had 10 years ago. It's like the yeah. book I wish I would have had 10 years ago because as I got into it, I hadn't been very creative for a long time. So I had to really amp up my drawing skills. Like I was really, really coming in as super, super beginner with very, very crude drawings. And I actually really love sharing my early work so people can see, you know, you stick with it and, you know, you can develop your own style and it gets, you know, your drawings will improve over time. Right. So yeah, so it's, it's really fun. I love kind of being in there and, and helping people. And, and it's been really fun kind of sharing and talking about the book with so many different people too, like teachers and students and kids and it professionals and like just kind of anybody in between, which is really fun too. Yeah. And we'll make sure that we share the book in the show notes and then the link to your community and newsletter as well. Yeah. that's Uh, Yeah. I love it. I, anytime in my office, I would have a whiteboard that was almost the size of the wall because I needed to have that visual. And awesome. I know like whiteboards can be expensive or they, they you know, might, might not have the room for it, but they also have those sticky 3M note papers that are poster yeah. size that people can use. So I definitely um, suggest that people think about having something like that handy and yeah. start small, but definitely getting that visual for the people that people that need that. So, okay, switching over, I'd love to ask you the questions that we normally ask our guests. And the first one is, you have three kids, you have a very busy work life. What are some routines or practices that you have that help you maintain your mental or physical well-being? Yeah, so I, I love being in nature. Nature is, is my jam. And so taking a moment or two, hopefully during the day, even just to step outside for five minutes and take my dog down, we have a big hill, take him down the hill and back, Yeah, (laughs) like being just breathing in fresh air, stepping away from the computer. I try to do that as much as I possibly can. Like I really love my work and I would work all day, every day and into the Mm -hmm. night if I could, but I, I really try to spend I, I get I get cooped up if I'm inside for too long. So getting outside and, and breathing in some fresh air, even just for a couple of minutes can totally reset for me for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. And when you need a confidence or energy boost, is there a go-to song that you have that you'll put on? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I'm actually very musical. I've, I actually learned, I know how to play a few different instruments too. So music has always been, been something, but I really like the song Parade by Sylvie and Esso. So mm. maybe put that in the show notes, yeah. but it's like a, it's just like a fun jam. And I don't know, I don't know. There's just something about it. That's really fun, but I am a bit of a music snob. I really love, like, I'm very particular about <laughs> my, I'm really into Charlotte Cardin. She's a Canadian artist right now. I'm getting, I'm going to get to see her in about two months live, which is very exciting, but she's, mm-hmm. she's pretty awesome too. Yeah. Well, I haven't heard of either of them, so I'll definitely yeah. check those out myself. Yeah. <laughs> is there a book other than yours, of course, that you would, <laughs> that you've read that you felt was beneficial and the audience might want to check out? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I, I read a lot of business books. I read a lot of books about money because like we could have a whole other conversation just about money stuff. But as a creative trying to dissect the 
starting artist mentality in the, in the years ago was like really hard to do. So there's quite a few money books that I love, but I think my favorite of all time that I tend to recommend the most is called Overcoming Under Earning by, Bar- by Barbara Stanley. She's actually a Husson now, but so I'm not sure if it's, if you Googled it, it'd be Stanley or Husson. I'm not sure. I yeah, that is my favorite book. It, it's got a lot of exercises in it. And it's really, it is geared towards women though, you know, definitely men can benefit from it too. But her father actually started H&R Block mm-hmm. and did not give her any financial advice, basically oh, told wow. her to marry a man who would take care of you. And she ended up, the guy she married, it was went south. He did some not so good things and she ended up with a million dollar tax bill. Oh, wow. Like two kids and no job. So she is awesome. She wow. is so awesome. And the book is awesome. So and don't let that word under earning freak you out. You could be an under earner and make 30,000 or you could be an under earner and make a million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. It's just depending on your own personal where you are in your life and your potential, right? Yeah. So it's it's a really good one. I, I try to actually read it about two times a year. I try to pick it up and at least go through parts of it every six months or so, just to try, try to refresh my brain on on a few things. And I like to see how I've grown throughout the years too, which is fun. Great. Well, I appreciate that recommendation. I uh, definitely share that as well. So you are officially in our audience's hype squad. Is there a one piece of advice that you would like to leave the audience with to inspire them or to encourage them as they grow in their careers? Yeah, I, you know what, I think I'm going to lean in on sort of this overarching theme. I'm going to I'm going to tie it to see if I can tie this all together. I'm going to say lean in on your creativity and don't be afraid, you know, mm-hmm. like find spaces where you can share like safe spaces where you can start sharing some creativity, just start brainstorming on a piece of paper, just some things that are coming up for you and, and try to rewire your brain to believe that you do have value as a creative person, right. And lean on the creativity that feels and comes more natural to you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Love it. I, yeah, all things creative. You are creative, just embrace it and find safe spaces where you can share. Perfect advice to end on. And so thank you, Ashton. I know we are on time or we're at time. And just the one last, can people reach out to you in our audience? And if they can, how how would they find you? What's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah. If you're interested in, in the sketchnoting, you can go to sketchnote.school. That's all things learning how to sketchnote. And if you like have a conference or a meeting or something coming up that you want to chat about, you can find me at mindseyecreative.ca. And that's where I have all of my sort of years of experience and examples and all that good stuff from a professional there. So yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And yeah, I've been there and it is all great stuff. So I hope people check you out there and thank you again. Thank you for spending your time with us. And I really appreciate you sharing what you do. Thank you. All right. Bye, Ashton. Hi, everyone. This is Michelle again. If you enjoyed this conversation, hit subscribe so you don't miss out on our weekly episodes. And if you're really feeling it, please leave a review. We'd love to have your support. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter where we share things we're excited about, things we found funny or inspiring, and must-read leadership videos and articles we came across that week. You can subscribe by going to www.thebosstrack.com forward slash weekly joy. That's www.thebosstrack.com forward slash weekly joy. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.